a Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Who was Saint Catherine of Siena and uh, where did she come from? Uh, she came from Siena, which you know, obvious, town in Italy, mm-hmm. and she was born mid 14th century. You know, it was a very uh, tumultuous time mm-hmm. in especially Italy, you know, because there's all these different uh, Italy wasn't unified like we know today of Italy. It was all these different little city-states and stuff, you know, Naples and Florence and uh, Rome itself, the Papal States and uh, Venice, all these different city-states kind of vying for control. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's born into this kind of tumultuous world. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was born to parents who had, I think she was the 22nd child. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, in today's world, too, you know, one and a half kids is the average in the developed world. I think it's like four or five in the, the developing world. Mm-hmm. So 22, that's pretty, yeah. pretty unheard of. You know, she was, uh, she was born into a very large, you know, pretty devout family. Mm-hmm. And uh, her twin sister died in infancy. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of, she grew up in the faith. And the thing, the thing I found striking while, you know, researching her, because I knew about Catherine of Siena, who she was, but really kind of digging down into it to do this podcast, was her story is the same as the other saints we've covered in that she points to Christ and she's very Christ-centered and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's also so different mm-hmm. from all the others. Because in a lot of the other ones we've done, a lot of the great saints, they all have a certain thing they're they're known for. You know, like St. Augustine was known for being kind of a, a debauched playboy mm-hmm. who had a conversion and became a great man of God. St. Paul was an accessory to murder who had a conversion and became a great man of God. Mm-hmm. We have all these, like St. Peter had temper problems and anger problems and cut the high priest's servant's ear off and all these different things and denied Jesus, but then came back to him and then became the first pope. So, I mean, we have all these different kind of like pivotal moments in people's lives, but she didn't really have that because it was like she was born a saint. Mm. <laughs> from you know, from what I've read about her, mm. she was born when she was, I think she was six or seven years old. She had a uh, her first vision of Jesus right. when she was five years old. And she's seen Jesus with Peter and Paul and uh, the Apostle John. Mm. And then when she was seven years old, she seen Jesus again, and she promised to give her entire life to God and dedicate her life to God, and she did. You know, she lived out that promise. But she did have a very short life, right? So when you look at where yeah. she started from and where she's finished, like when you look at the complete sketch of her life, um, mm-hmm. she started pretty early, but a short life, but a very accomplished uh, life in in that sense. Yeah, I mean, she died at, uh, what was she, 32 or 33 years old. Yeah. And that's how old I am right now. So I think she got the papacy, moved back to Rome, and mm-hmm. wrote a whole book about conversations with Jesus, and I uh, was a spiritual director for monks and nuns and everyone across Italy, but so I think she, she accomplished a lot in 33 years, a lot more than I have, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. In fact, I think that's one of the similarities that people say that she died in the year of Christ, which is the, the year mm-hmm. of 33 when everything... Yeah, traditionally Christ was 30 years before he started his public ministry and then three years of public ministry. Yeah. So yeah, her her life kind of mirrored Christ in that, in that way too. And, uh, what about the fact that she comes from the Dominican order, which is an order which is Whose, whose business is about prayer and meditation and contemplation mm-hmm. and all these things. Yeah. Yeah, well, she was very dedicated to prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, like you said, Dominican, the, the thing the Dominicans are really famous for yeah. is the rosary. And that's what St. Saint, uh, Saint Dominic had that vision of uh, the Blessed Mother, and she gave him the rosary. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get the rosary. That's what tradition tells us that's where we get the rosary from. Mm-hmm. And so she was very dedicated to prayer and very... Very spiritual. She'd pray a lot. And she'd go into kind of spiritual ecstasies, mm-hmm. you know, where she'd see visions of Christ and have a bunch of different uh, kind of mystical experiences. She was a mystic, and mysticism really is uh, 
it's a tradition in Dominicans amongst Dominicans, you know, because in the scholastics and a lot of the the older kind of before the Dominicans, like uh, the Benedictines and stuff, they really had a uh, different kind of spirituality, you know, like the the Dominican spirituality, especially the mystical portion of it, had that this you could experience God's love in a like a mystical kind of way and like this kind of enraptured trance they go into while praying. And she experienced that a bunch of times. Uh, for people who don't know what is mysticism, can you just give them a brief idea about what what this is? What What is the mysticism? What is the mystical reality, spirituality that they're talking about? The mystical reality? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's that you can experience, a person can experience a God's love in a, like, a... Uh, and kind of like a, I don't know, it's hard to explain <laughs> in, in, without saying the word mystical, you know, in a mystical way. <laughs> but it isn't just, you don't just read about God's love and you don't just accept it like, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. I know you have like, you can feel, you can feel God's love around you. You can see it, you know, like you can envision it and you kind of get caught up in it, in the experience. Mm-hmm. Did her mystical vision affect her? Her voice, like what she yeah, I think prayer. I think it affected really everything about her because she had the, she really she was drawn to the Dominican order itself just because she had a, a vision of Saint Dominic mm-hmm. when she was uh, 16 years old, mm-hmm. and so really her conversations with Jesus. You know, she wrote a book called The Dialogues, mm-hmm. and uh, at the behest of her confessor, who was uh, Blessed Raymond Capua, he was her. Uh, he got. She had all these different mystical experiences and stuff, and she would tell people about them. So the Dominican Order actually called her in because they kind of wanted to put her on a shorter leash, and so they assigned this priest to be her confessor, and he ended up becoming one of her spiritual sons. He was so impressed with her, you know, her wisdom and stuff, mm-hmm. and her prophetic voice. But yeah, everything. These dialogues that she had with Jesus, they really shaped everything she done. Really shaped her entire life. There was a couple of different episodes. There was really like there's a couple of famous ones that she had. Of these uh, these episodes, these uh, mystical trances, you know, the dialogues that she had with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The one is the uh, she had a spiritual wedding. They yeah. called an espousement with Jesus, where he gave her a ring that only was visible to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she also had a uh, invisible stigmata, where she felt the pain of the wounds of Christ in her wrists and her feet. You know, the crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of times you'll see in uh, you know sacred art, you'll see her depicted with a crown of thorns. And then uh, my my actually my favorite one was she had uh, what was called the exchange of hearts and it was Jesus appeared to her and uh, he took a heart and he said to her he took his heart he appeared to her with a heart in his hand you know bright red bloody human heart and he said to her uh, dearest daughter as I took your heart away from you the other day now you see I'm giving you mine so that you can go on living with it forever mm-hmm. and so she had this kind of spiritual exchange of hearts with Jesus where the heart of Jesus was actually inside of her. And Pope Benedict XVI said that she was living out the words of St. Paul when he said in Galatians that I no longer live, it's Christ that lives in me. And that really reminded me of a, uh, there's a verse from Ezekiel where God said, was telling that in the future, you know, in the coming coming age, I'm going to take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You know, it was very, very similar to what happened to her. She had this experience where Jesus actually put his heart, his sacred heart, inside of her so that then everything she'd done was focused on Christ. She was very Christocentric, you know, very... And just like the sacraments in the church and the church itself, yeah. every single sacrament in the church was instituted by Christ and points to Christ. Like whether it's baptism, like his baptism in the Jordan, or the Eucharist is his body and blood, or, you know, going to confession is Jesus forgiving your sins the way he forgives 
the crippled sins, the crippled man's sins, all the different, all the sacraments, all seven sacraments really point to Jesus. The whole church itself is ordered around Jesus. He's the center of everything. And he was the center of St. Catherine of Siena's life. He was literally her beating heart inside of her. Where does she get all of her other qualities from? I mean, since she's a Dominican, um, we still see that she has this, these qualities of leadership. She's charitable. She, of course, she came from a very affluent family as well. But um, mm-hmm. she's, there, she's full of all these other things as well, instead of just being a nun who is praying and uh, meditating or things like that. Right. Right. So that was when, when she was 16, she has this vision of St. Dominic, mm-hmm. and she wants to become a Dominican. But she didn't want to become a nun because then the nuns had to live in, in the cloister, you know, in the convent. She wanted to be kind of out there and ministering to the people. And she also wanted to live with her family still. So she became a, uh, a tertiary, a third order Dominican. And they still have them today, lay Dominicans. And they live in the world. And they live, live up to your station in life. So if you're married, you can become a lay Dominican or even if you're single, whatever. But you take promises. You promise to follow the rules of the order and to live out the charism of the order and you do this in the way the dominicans you know, their motto is to preach to bless and to uh what is it to praise to bless and to preach is our motto and they she wanted to live out this charism of dominicans but she didn't want to live in the convent she wanted to be amongst the people and kind of minister to the people and help the people so she became a third order dominican and they actually taught her this third order of Dominicans. She would go and live with the, like, go stay with the nuns sometimes. And they taught her how to read and write because she wasn't, I mean, back then people weren't really taught to read or write unless they were, uh, you know, the upper, very upper crust of society, really, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she lived out her her Dominican spirituality of prayer. And uh, I had it explained to me one time by a Dominican mm-hmm. uh, that prayer for a Dominican isn't just, you don't pray to then go out and do your, you know, carry up the charism of the Dominican order. The prayer is the central part of it. Mm. Like that's the, everything that comes from, everything else you do comes from prayer. Mm. And he said it's like a well that wells up inside of you of the grace of God that then you pray and you enter into contemplation and you pray and, you know, be with God in prayer and it wells up inside you and then there's living water. Like Jesus said, out of him will pour forth fountains of living water. This living water spills forth from the well without emptying the well itself. It overflows in abundance and irrigates the fields, the, wor- the world around you. And that's really what Dominicans are all about. And, and this is really important if, um, like, uh, anybody who's now considering what to do before Lent, um, mm-hmm. uh, you can always see if there's a Dominican retreat nearby or consider mm-hmm. this form of prayer as part of your Lenten uh, retreat. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, my, I myself am very very drawn towards Dominican spirituality. I've actually been discerning whether to uh, become a third order Dominican myself. You know, so I'm very, I'm very drawn towards the, uh, the, the study, the Dominicans, you're, you're constantly part of the Dominican charism is you're constantly learning and studying yeah. and learning the truths of God and the mysteries of God mm-hmm. and not for knowledge sake, mm-hmm. but then to take that, that you've learned and to help build up the church with it, to help share it with other people, to help them better understand the mysteries of God, you know, the, whether it's scriptures itself or the saints, the lives of the saints or the the catechism of the church, like just learning, but not for your own sake, learning to then help. Like, like I said about the well, it blows out from you so that then you can help irrigate the fields. Mm -hmm. What would you um, say about um, St. Catherine's leadership? I mean, she was pretty young for somebody who was mentoring Mm -hmm. other priests, mentoring uh, other Yeah, yeah. 
many. It's amazing that she her, she became a spiritual director and like for lack of a better term, like nowadays we would call her a spiritual director. But she became a spiritual director, and people would call her her mother, their mother, mm-hmm. and she would call people her spiritual sons and daughters. And I mean, she she died at thirty three, and so she wasn't even she wasn't even middle aged yet. And she was so most of the people she was mentoring were probably older than her. Mm-hmm. But that was a testament to her wisdom and her, like I said, her leadership qualities that she became kind of this mentor all across Italy too. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't just in some, and she traveled around and tried to. She was very big about keeping peace and trying to make peace between all these different states and cities and stuff. And so she was always traveling around and kind of on behalf. And that's what kind of got her into the purview of the Pope to where she ended up talking to the Pope that was in Avignon at the time, the Avignon Papacy. Mm-hmm. And it was through her kind of spiritual direction of the Pope, I guess you could say, <laughs> that the Pope ended up going back to Rome. And that's a good example of how you use your your Christian mission to achieve even political peace, right? I mean, you could mm-hmm. use your, your Christian mandate to do so many things that are good, to bring people together as a peacemaker, uh, even wherever it is to stand for what is right. And you can really learn that from, from her. Yeah. You can learn that from Catherine Siena, that some things are worth really putting it all on the line for and, you know, going out there and trying to take your, not just, not just living your Christian life in yourself mm-hmm. and being a private Christian. Yeah. You know, there's too many there's too many people in this world today that are private Christians, and we're expected to when we entered into society. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you are, you're expected to enter the workplace and enter the public square and take your religion and leave it at home. Mm-hmm. But that isn't the way it works. That isn't the way it should work. We're supposed to take it with us. We're supposed to live out our religion on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, people are supposed to see us and see the fruit that we bear, and we're supposed to be the salt and light of the earth. We're not supposed to take it off like, okay, I have my Christian hat on and I'm going to leave that at home now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put on my professional hat and go to work. You're supposed to engage your religion for the greater good in society, in the public square. And you see more and more of that today because now you're everywhere you're expected to be politically correct, but you yeah. truthful and stand for what you believe. Yeah, it's truth. Truth has took a back seat to people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really has. And... Like, you're not expected to tell someone the truth if the truth's going to hurt their feelings. And that's okay for, like, you know, on minor things. Like, if someone gets a haircut and say, do you like my haircut? Yeah. You don't want to tell them no. You know, you don't want to be rude. But on major things, you know, things that are serious, serious things, it, you're expected to toe the line and just go along with what society expects, mm-hmm. even though you know it's not the truth. And it, it's it's wrong. I mean, there's no other way around it. And and Saint Catherine of Siena was not afraid of speaking the truth. I mean, um, she, she no, she wasn't. The true self, and then you set the world on fire. So yes, that's be who God meant you to be, and you'll set the world on fire. That's what she said. Mm-hmm. It's one of her most famous quotes, and it's the truth too. I mean, if you're who God means you meant you to be, mm-hmm. if you go out there and live that that calling on your life, then you will set the world on fire. Uh, when was it that she started this this thing of fasting? I mean, she was. I think towards the latter years of her life, uh, just yeah, towards the end of her life, she lived. Uh, a few different sources I've read said that she lived just on the Eucharist and water alone. Okay. And uh, some say it was just for a few weeks. Some say it was for a few months. Yeah. I actually read one account that said it was for over a year, and so that's pretty amazing. But what what what, ama- what inspired her to do this? What made her do this? Yeah. Well, he uh, the 
Father Capua, Raymond Capua of Capua, he uh, he insisted. He would. He told her, he said, I'm, I'm basically ordering you because he was her higher up. He was a Dominican friar. He was ordering her to eat, and she said, no, I can't. It was right before she died. She said, I can't. It makes me sick. The only thing she could actually take was the Eucharist. It didn't make her ill. Everything else made her ill. She was sick. I don't know what it was that she was sick of, but she couldn't take food. So I don't know if it was an intentional thing that she decided to just eat the Eucharist, just you know, consume the Eucharist, or if it was that was the only thing that didn't make her sick. So what are the lessons that you can learn from, from St. Catherine of Siena? Given- I think one of the biggest lessons is to make Christ the center of everything, of all your your pursuits, yeah. all your activities, your prayer, mm-hmm. your concerns in this world, everything. If you make Christ the dead center of it yeah. and then let everything else kind of come around it, you know, mm-hmm. that just like she had that exchange of hearts with Jesus, you know, we might not have a vision where Jesus gives us his heart, mm-hmm. but we are in an adopted relationship with God. We're the sons and daughters of God through our baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's called divine filiation. We become the sons and daughters of God. So we need to be, and that's what she said, be who God meant you to be and you'll set the world on fire. The very first paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells you who God meant you to be. And God meant you to be the sons and daughters of him, of God, and partakers of the divine life. That's who we're meant to be. So for who we're meant to be, if we live out that vocation of we're sons and daughters of God, then we'll set the world on fire. And I think that's the biggest lesson to learn is center everything on Jesus. But there was another... Uh, interesting vision that she had it was uh she had this this vision and it was a kind of a recurring thing there too that jesus was a bridge between heaven and earth and it was his uh his feet what was the different parts of the bridge his feet the wound on his side and, and his mouth was the three parts of the bridge and she kind of interpreted them to mean that the, it was detachment that it was three stages of sanctification you know on our journey we're all on this journey towards home mm-hmm. that the first set step was the detachment of sin from sin. Mm. And then the second step was the practice of virtues and love. And then the third, third step was the sweet loving union with God. Okay. So that's when you finally achieve that sanctification, which we're, you know, we're all aiming for in heaven, especially it's where we'll all be sanctified saints. Yeah. Everyone in heaven is a saint. But that's the, the detachment from sin is the first step. And really, I mean, we're not capable of doing that on our own, but through the grace of God we are. Wasn't it one of her quotes that said the journey to heaven is heaven? Yeah. Yeah, the journey itself is the, the what is it, the journey is the, de- the destination is important, it's the journey, That's you hear that all the time? Yeah. That's yeah. what she, the, basically she was saying there. Yeah, being in union with God and being in a state of grace and not in a state of mortal sin, you know, going to frequent confession and receiving the sacraments, mm-hmm. it really is a grace-filled journey. Yeah, there was an uh, interest in, uh, I come across, it was a, uh, a, uh, a general audience that Benedict XVI gave on Catherine of Siena, uh, I guess about 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And it was, I think it was, no, it must have, it must have been that long. I think it was 2012, it was, so it was like six years ago. And uh, he said that her biggest strength was her Christocentric worldview. You know, just everything was focused on Christ. You know, so and Benedict really, he mentioned that a couple of times in the, in the private, in the general audience that that was her biggest strength. And that's the biggest lesson we to learn from her is having it just centered on Christ, having our vision centered on Christ. And I think we, uh, maybe, the thing is, now during Lent, there's a lot of focus, uh, since we're in the ear of the, the God, the Holy Spirit, we're, we're really focused on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the charismatic group. And sometimes mm-hmm. we forget Lent is all about Christ. We've become so immune to, to even the passion of Christ. We're just going through the motions, okay, one Friday, next Friday, next Friday. 
Good friend. Uh, so it's a nice lesson to, to remember that we direct our attention back on on Christ Himself. On Jesus Himself, yeah. That's I love the uh, whenever you go to confession, mm-hmm. you know, and He says, uh, "I'm gonna butcher it here," but the, the prayer of absolution. Yeah. I I just and I mean I've been Catholic now for two years, and I, I go to confession at least once every couple of weeks so that's like a hundred times now yeah. and it's still just I have to close my eyes and bow my head when they, when they pray the prayer of absolution the priest because I just find it so beautiful and it's uh, what is it God the Father sent, sent his Holy Spirit into the world for the forgiveness of sin that through the life, death and resurrection of his son has reconciled the world to himself mm-hmm. I just love that through the life because Jesus reconciled the world not just through his death mm-hmm. but through his entire life he sanctified the world you know and that's what uh they talk about how Jesus' hidden years, it talks in the Catechism about how Jesus' hidden years, he was sanctifying the world. Because our lives, there's the moment we're baptized, we're born, and then we're baptized, we're born again in water and spirit. And then there's these different highs and lows we hit throughout our life, but the majority of our life is like the hidden years of Christ, the first 30 years of his life. It's the hidden years of our own life. And then we reach our own passion and our exodus out of this world into the next. And we only like the Gospels, really only touch on Jesus' birth and you know like maybe the first like little time after his birth, however long that was, it doesn't really say. And then when he was twelve years old it mentions him again. And then when he starts his public ministry. So really we only have a few years of a thirty three year long life on paper. But it's the hidden years that really sanctified the word. Not isn't the only thing. I mean the life, death and re- the death and resurrection of him really that's really what done it. But through the the hidden years of Christ at the, in the ordinary time of the church, too. That's why they call it ordinary time, because there's you know, there's Easter season, there's Lent, there's Advent, and then there's ordinary time the rest of the year. And that's so important, because most of our life is ordinary time. And we have to use that ordinary time to further the kingdom of God. So that's why I like to focus on during Lent, is not just the parts that we know about in the Gospels and stuff, but just the everyday life of Jesus. You know, all the, the regular interactions he'd have as a teenager, as a young adult, living in Nazareth, you know, going around Galilee, his friends, his family, just living in the Holy Land and just being there. And like like this catechism says, he sanctified the world, not just through his passion, but also through the hidden years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have to think of that during the uh, during Lent. You know, I really like Lent. It's one of my favorite times of the year because you, you kind of it's a great time for spiritual growth. You can really practice the, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, you know, read more scripture, go to confession more often, do the Stations of the Cross on Fridays, really enter into the whole season and take it in. Mm-hmm. And... Really just think about it. Don't let it go by and just idly kind of like, oh, yeah, it's the Tuesday during land or what. A lot of people don't even really think about it. Just every moment, just really kind of take it in and think of Jesus, those 40 days that he spent out in the desert being tempted. And just think of that and think of the 40 years that the Israelites wandered the desert in Sinai and just really kind of meditate on it. I think you made a good point about uh, the ordinary time. I think there's there's one group of people who would be who would just uh, not do anything about it. And then there's one group of people who would overthink it. So I think it's it's good to remember that it's it's time where you can break it down to being simple, to being mm-hmm. uh, not being uh, too complex. There's so many people who want to do every retreat, who want to go to do all right. fasting. I think it's a, it's a good time to pray, simplify your routine, simplify your yeah. life, and and go about it. Yeah, because you can. I mean, you can burn yourself out. You see it a lot, especially. Uh, back when I was uh, like at mega churches and stuff in, in the Protestant world, someone becomes a Christian. And next thing you know, they want to serve on every board in the church, and they want to be a preacher themselves, and they burn themselves out. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the seed that's planted in the, so- the the rocky soil 
you know, in that parable of the sower of the seeds, it sprouts up real quick, but there's no roots, and so it dies. So I think you got to take your time, and you should get involved. Definitely get involved. Get involved in your parish. Get involved in different ministries that do, you know, speak to you. Read scripture. I think that's the most important thing is to read because it's there. It's accessible to us. God speaks to us through the scriptures. And people died for the scriptures. Like during the, all the persecutions during the Roman Empire, people would die over a single page yeah. of the scriptures. And then we just let it sit on the bookshelf and gather dust. Or in places like North Korea or in, uh, you know, in, yeah, in Saudi Arabia, people have to smuggle Bibles in. So it's a shame that we, we take it for granted so much. But yeah, I mean, don't grow your roots deep in your faith before you know you can't give what you don't have i can't give what i don't have myself so you have to grow yourself before you can go out and minister to others i think that's an important thing to learn too is if you try going out and doing all these different things without deepening your own faith you're just gonna wither and die like the plant in the rocky soil and and i i also want to say this because um whatever you're going to do uh, during lent discern what you're going to do first uh, i've seen a lot of people who who say okay i'm going to do fasting and then they get sick midway, or they right. say they could die at purposes, or they want to lose weight. So discern what you're doing and why you're doing it during the next 40 days. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to have a spiritual reason. And yeah. You need to pray before you start so that you can do it well and do it do it to the end. Yeah, and also remember what Jesus said, is don't go around boasting that you're fasting. <laughs> you know, like there's too many people that go like, Oh, no, 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 I can't have that. I gave it up for Lent. Oh. You know, like they're really tr- proud of themselves so they don't eat chocolate anymore or whatever it is. And uh, that, that's the wrong attitude to have. I try not to mention it to anyone unless someone's insisting, like, here, have this, have this, have that. Like, no. And then I'll tell them, no, I actually gave that up. But if you if you start out a conversation, well, like, guess what I gave up for Lent? You're mm-hmm. kind of coming at it the wrong way. Yeah. You can be a private Christian here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you're not supposed to be boastful and, like, be... Uh, you know, want attention for your, your piety. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, is uh, Ash Wednesday. is uh, It's only two days away. And a lot of people say that Christians, especially even other Christians that are like non-liturgical Christians, mm-hmm. they'll say that, oh, look at you walking around with ashes on your head, like you're holier than other people. And you think, that isn't what the ashes mean at all. The ashes mean I'm a sinner, mm-hmm. and I'm recognizing the fact that I'm a sinner. And I'm also recognizing the fact that I'm not immortal here on this earth. I'm going to die one day. You know, this is me. This is me recognizing that I'm not holier than you. And there's people that get the ashes on their forehead and they walk around all like, look at me. Because there's there's a lot of people that go to church on Ash Wednesday that aren't in church any other day of the year. Yeah, yeah, correct. And, you know, a priest told me one time that Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday are two of the busiest days of the year because everyone likes something for free. (laughs) And you're getting free ashes and free palms. But... There's people that come on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday isn't even a holy day of obligation. You don't have to go to church on Ash Wednesday. And yet, it's packed. Because there are a lot of people that come at it from the right. And I'll admit, when I was younger, I used to think that was was the point of Ash Wednesday, was you're going to go out there and be a public witness for Christ. Which, I mean, it partly is. People say, why do you got ashes on your head? You explain, well, today's Ash Wednesday. But if you've got this kind of sense of spiritual superiority, you're doing it wrong. It's not spiritual superiority. It's like the Ninevites, when Jonah preached them, they all tore their, put ashes on their head and tore their clo- their clothes and repented and wailed and mourned and said, you know, don't destroy us to God. And the first reading on Ash Wednesday is always from uh, Joel. And God says, tear at your hearts. We're supposed to tear at our hearts and be sorrowful for the things that we've done. 
and sorrowful for our sins and begging God for his forgiveness. So that's what the ashes represent. The ashes are, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and I'm not better than you.